I want to jump into God's word with you today. And so I'm going to ask you again to participate uh, with me and don't just don't just have it on and be cleaning the house or cooking breakfast or eating dinner or whatever the case, whatever you may be doing. Um, don't don't just have have this on, but actually make this your time with God. We were praying uh, before the worship experience and we were praying that the Holy Spirit would meet just individually in every home, in, in the car, on every, through every screen, we were saying in every device, God, that the Holy Spirit would speak specific. So I don't want you just to have it, have this on while you're doing something else, but I want you to sit down and focus and lean in and hear what God has to say. Uh, and I'm very excited today because I think God has, I think God's given me some clear clarity and some perspective. Um, even I would say, I'd use this word prophetically, some things that are going on uh, that God has been speaking to me really for months. And I'm going to try to share some of those things and I put it in context of a scripture. Um, and so I, I just want to invite you to lean in. And uh, so if you would turn with me to um, Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, and honestly turn there or click there just as you would. Make this your time. Uh, and also preach along with me. So you should be able to comment on any format, I believe, wherever you're watching this, whether it's YouTube or whether it's uh, on uh, our website or whether it's Facebook. And so, you know, if you're one of those that, that talk back, go ahead and, and, and chat back. And uh, you can put a fire emoji if it really gets good. Um, you know, you can, you can put other emojis if it doesn't go so well. It's whatever. I don't, it's, you just participate uh, where you're at. Acts 27, to understand Acts 27, we really have to jump back to Acts 21. But Paul is in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple to preach. Uh, there were people that, the Christian people who didn't, or say Christians, let me back up, Jewish believers, not, let me back up, that would be Messianic Jews. There were Jewish religious people who did not like his message and it incites a riot and they actually drag Paul out of the temple and they're like beating him. And so the Roman soldiers were dispatched and they come and actually rescue Paul from the church people because they were saying you're in rebellion against the law and against Moses because he's preaching Jesus, right? Um, and so uh, then the soldier are actually going to punish him for causing a riot. So they're going to scourge him. And then Paul says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights here. Um, and so Paul ends up, uh, you know, basically imprisoned in Jerusalem. But then there's a conspiracy by like 40 Jews and they're going to actually kill Paul. So then uh, that they, they're made aware of that actually by Paul's nephew. And so, um, yeah, this is a great story. It's all in your Bible. Uh, it'd be a great movie. Um, but anyway, so then Paul is actually taken by 200 Roman soldiers as bodyguards and transported from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And he is going to be sent to Rome, which is in incredible because Paul always thought, he's like, I want to go preach the gospel in Rome. Well, now the government's going to pay to send him to Rome. Um, and so he is now in Caesarea. He'll be in prison there for two years before finally being put on a ship under the, um, under the watchful eye, if you will, uh, under the responsibility of a Roman officer named Julius. And so they're going to sail. And they, they, they start out, they, they, they sail to Sidon, to Myra, to Snidus, uh, to Crete, and then they finally come to Fairhaven. And at Fairhaven, they're, you know, Paul's like, this is as far as we can go. It's storm season. 
Um, and uh, we're, we shouldn't go any farther than this. Uh, but all the people on the ship, and there's like 200 and something people, 276 people, I think, on the ship. And the sailors are all, no, we, we've got to get to Phoenix. And I don't know if that was like Tortuga and Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know if that's the place all the pirates wanted to hang out. But they're like, no, we got to get, to me, Fairhaven sounds like a great place to vacation, personally. If I'm going to be stuck somewhere for a storm season, Fairhaven, I like it. You know, Phoenix, hot. You know, but anyways, um, so, so they head to Phoenix. And on their way to Phoenix, they encounter this storm. They're blown out to sea. They spend two weeks driven by the storm. We'll read all of this in just a minute before finally, Acts 28, they run aground on an island called Malta. And so we're going to back up Acts 27. And we're going to read this together. I want you to read along, at least on the screen. Acts 27, verse 13, it says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing they'd obtained their desire, they put out to sea and sailed close by Crete. So they're leaving Fairhaven, headed to Phoenix. But not long after, a tempest head wind arose called Euroclidon. Now, here's what I've learned. If a storm has a name, it's a bad storm. Are you with me? Like Katrina, are you with If a storm has a name, like COVID-19, it's a bad storm. And they encounter a storm with a name, a, Euro, a, a Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Now the storm is driving the boat. This time out, I don't know about you, but I've kind of felt that way lately. I've kind of felt like the storm's driving and we're just all on a joy ride <laughs> hanging on in the storm, right? And so verse 16, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, they secured the skiff. That's the lifeboat with, with difficulty. In other words, they got the lifeboat in the boat. And, and, and when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. So they would take these cables and a guy would tie it on one side of the ship, jump, literally jump. I don't know this guy's life insurance, how that, he, that worked out. But anyways, he would swim under the boat and bring the cable up and they'd tie it on the other side. And this was holding the hole together um, throughout the storm. So it's something they did. So they'd use cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground um, on the sand, they, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. That means they threw all the cargo overboard. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. In other words, Paul's like, now I'm helping throw stuff overboard. Verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and I love the way I read this New King James just because I love the narrative here. It says, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, in other words, they hadn't been eaten probably because they were seasick, right? Um, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, now this, I love this because it's the best I told you so in the Bible right here. Men, you should have listened to me. Because see, Paul was telling him, he's like, it's not good weather, we shouldn't go. And now they're in a hurricane, right? Uh, which is East Texan for hurricane. Um, men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. Look at this. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Like, <laughs> I got good news and I got bad news, right? For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and of whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, 
you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. I love that statement. Take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as he told me. However, <laughs> we must run aground on a certain island. Good news and bad news. Good news, good news, we're going to make it. Bad news, we're going to wreck the boat, right? Um, I call this message storm potential, storm potential. Will you pray with me there at home or wherever you may be watching? If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but pray with me. Father, thank you so much, God, that your word speaks today. God, that your word is eternal. It doesn't have a timestamp. It doesn't have a limit on it. So God, your word speaks today. We ask God that the word of God would speak today, that you would speak today by your spirit. Give us ears, God, that are attentive, that can hear, transform our hearts, that we would never be the same in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Storm potential. Now, I know that that's kind of a, a meteorological term um, where they talk about the each day has a potential of a storm. In other words, what's the storm potential of this day? But, but I saw it as a different way. And, and the reason I saw this is because as this started, as, as COVID-19 started kicking up and things started happening, I really saw that there's an upside to storms, that storms have a potential. They, they do have a potential for damage, but I actually think storms have a potential for good. Let me, let me give you a, a, kind of an analogy or, or comparison here. But um, in, in 87 to, to 1991, some scientists came together and they built this thing called Biosphere 2. It's in Oracle, Arizona. It's basically a, a um, man-made ecological ecosystem, right? And so they were trying to prove you could live on Mars. And so they basically created these domes and bubbles. Uh, and it was basically a, a you know, man-engineered ec ecosystem. And so eight scientists lived there for two years. And so, I mean, literally, they had a rainforest. They had a desert. Um, they even had a, a small ocean with a coral reef. And so the whole goal was to show we could, you know, maintain life in something that we built. And, but here was one of the things they noticed. They noticed the trees in this ecosystem that they had created would grow quickly. They, grow, they grew faster than normal. Um, but as they grew, they would bend over and break. So they would grow faster, but then they would bend over and break. And, and as they started observing their, the system they had created, they realized the fallacy, one of, and they learned a lot. They had a lot of mistakes, but they learned a lot. Uh, but they realized one of the fallacies of their system was their system had no adverse conditions. And they finally realized or concluded that the reason these trees are growing faster and then breaking and dying is because there's no wind. There's no storms. And they concluded, if you want strong trees, you have to have adverse conditions. You have to have a storm. And, and as I thought about that, I thought, th this is true. We're called, believers are called trees of righteousness. And we want to be strong and we want to be full of faith. And I meet believers, oh, I want my faith to be so strong. I want to be, believe God for the impossible. Here's the trick, though. If you want to be a strong tree, You've got to endure some strong winds. If you want to be a strong, you should, somebody should be hitting the fire emoji right about now, okay? If you want to grow up tall and be strong in faith, then you're going to have to walk through some stuff that tests you. 
that, that causes you to reach down inside and get a hold of the faith and the belief that you have and live by and possess the things that God talks to you about and the things that God has shown. You're going to have to have some wind if you want to be strong. And I thought about the season that we're in with this storm that we would call COVID-19. And I've seen so much good from the wind, especially where the church is concerned. And so I want to give you four things, four things really quickly I believe that storms do that we see here in this, in this adventure, you know, with Paul. Like, so, 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 so grab, grab something, write these down, sit right back in here, a tail. All right. So, and, um, write these down. Number one, number one, storms remove idols. Now let me show you what I mean. So they're in this storm and verse 18 says they lighten the ship. All right. That means they threw the cargo overboard. The cargo was the whole reason for sailing. It was for trading. It was for making money. The cargo, let me say it this way to them, that was the most valuable thing on the ship. And they lost it because of the storm. It went over. And can I tell you this? It was interesting to me when COVID-19 hit. It was interesting because all of a sudden we lost all of our idols in America. The sports idols, March Madness, NBA, the Masters, now the Olympics is pushed out. We, we, we lost our entertainment idols. Nobody can do concerts. Right. I mean, Mariah and I, my daughter, Mariah, we, we like to watch American Idol. <laughs> they stopped filming American Idol, y'all. Like last night, it was a rerun. We were so discouraged because we had TiVo'd that thing. We're like, hey, we got an episode of American Idol. We're like, we watched this last week. And, and it's interesting how this storm has brought low, if you will, the things we idolize. Uh, even money. Even money, the things that that we value, and and then I thought about this. So there's a cargo, and then there's the boat. So what is the boat? The boat is the thing they were trusting in to get them where they thought they needed to be. It was what they had put their trust in. And I thought it, there there's categorically that's what an idol is: something you value more than God and trust in more than God. That's what an idol is. And, and I feel like, can I just be honest, and, and this is just something I feel from the Spirit, I think COVID-19 is more, is, is more about waking up the church than it is the world. I think, I think God's saying, hey, church, I think you've gotten caught up in the world's idols. I think you were a little bit more concerned about your March Madness bracket than what I'm doing today in and through my church. I think... Maybe you're just a little bit, you're, you're watching the market more than you're watching me. And I feel like, now I don't mean that judgmentally, but come on guys, this is the truth. I feel like what God was saying, I, I got to get the church's attention because we live, we live in, in, in really a pagan world and we can get caught up with pagan idols. This is exactly what God through Moses told Israel right before they went into the promised land. He's like, I'm sending them into the promised land and you're going to prosper and it's milk and honey and peanut butter and maybe some chocolate. And I don't know about y'all, but the social distancing, I got a social distance from my refrigerator. 
because I'm all looking like Jabba the Hutt, just trail mix and peanut. Anyways, but anyways, they're headed into the promised land. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but they're headed into the promised land. And, um, and he's like, milk and honey, but also there's idols. Though the people who do not trust me, the Canaanites, they have idols. And this is what he tells them in, in Deuteronomy 7, 25. It says, the images of their gods you are to burn in the fire. Don't covet silver or gold and do not take it for yourselves. Look at this. Or you will be ensnared because it's detestable. Here's what he's saying. Idols capture your heart. Idols will take you captive. When I value something or I trust something more than God, it ensnares my heart. Because once, listen, think about this. Think about this. Idols always, you look at Israel, idols always led them away from God. I mean, think about the golden calf. I mean, Moses having a, a staff meeting with God on the mountain, right? And, and he left the associate preacher in charge, Aaron. And the next thing you know, they're, they're worshiping a golden calf and saying, this God brought us out of Egypt. It ensnared their hearts and it took them away from God. Idols take us captive. And I just thought, as we get so um, caught up sometimes, the church, uh, in the idols of this world, does it not take us away from God? Do, they not, do we not trust in maybe our job more than we trust in God? Do we trust maybe in medicine more than we trust in God? Do, right? Are we more enraptured and caught up with, with entertainment and sports and some of these things than we are with what God is saying and what God is doing and being in God's house? Right? We'll pay hundreds of dollars and drive across country to go to a sporting event and we can't get up and go to the house of God for free. Well, that was, that was kind of rough. <laughs> yeah, but Ethel, you can't get your purse because you're in your house. Ethel, turn him off. Turn that boy off. Turn one of those happy preachers on. Um, but I'm just saying, it, it's, and, and here it is. What we value and what we trust in. And this is an opportunity for the church to come back and say, we're going to value God. Worth, worship, worship, worth. What is worship? Ascribing worth to, valuing. What you value the most, you worship the most. And so here we have an opportunity to return, I think, as a church and say, we're going to value God the most. We're going to worship him the most. We're going to trust in him. Do you know the greatest thing you can do? It says it was an abomination or it was detestable. Why is it detestable? It's detestable for you to trust in anything more than you trust in God. Why? Because God has given you everything. He has given you life, right? He has brought you to life. He has created you. Every good and perfect thing comes from him. And for us to put our trust in anything more so than we trust in him, it's detestable to him. Listen, the greatest thing you can do is trust God. Greatest thing you do. Uh, here, here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. Um, storms reveal God. They reveal God. I think and when storm happens, it's kind of like um, break the glass and pray. We have a tendency to pray more in storms than we do when things are smooth sailing. Let's just be honest. It's human nature. But, but I like this because it says, verse 23 and 24, it says, Paul said, and I don't know if he was praying, but I think he was. I think he was praying because I think he was riding that boat too like, oh, God. What are we doing? And, and this is what he said. For there stood by me this night an angel from God, whom I belong, whom I serve. 
And he said, don't be afraid. You must stand or be brought before Caesar. And here's what I thought. I can't think of one storm in the Bible where God didn't show up. Like, it's the value of storms. It's the potential of storms to me. Because you think, we talked about Mark 4 last week where Jesus is asleep in the boat and they're in a storm and they wake him up, not to calm the storm, they woke him up to bail water, right? Because he wasn't pulling, he wasn't doing his part and he wakes up and rebukes the wind and the waves and they're like, oh my God, literally. <laughs> Who is this <laughs> that calms the storms and, and Jesus reveals himself? in the storm. And then I thought about another time where he sends them ahead of him and then he comes walking on the water, right? And they're like, oh my God. And he's like, I know. And it was Jesus walking on the water. And then I thought about Job, right? And the Bible says God spoke to Job out of the storm. And I thought about, you can't have a storm where God doesn't show up. Thought about, think about Jonah. Jonah caused his own storm and God still showed up because he loved him enough to get the boy back on course with where he was supposed to be. God always shows up in storms. Isaiah 43 says, fear not for I've redeemed you. I have called you. You are mine. And when you pass through the flood, I will be with you, right? God always, he will not send us into a storm, but he will go with us through a storm. David said in Psalm 23, when I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. I can't find a storm where God doesn't show up. I, I think we just have to look for him because God will show up. And I like in this storm because you think about this, this is incredible to me. So Paul felt like he was supposed to go to Rome. Then God tells him when he gets, when all the mob starts back in Jerusalem, God confirms, yep, you're going to Rome. But in the middle of this storm, God goes a step farther. He says, you have to stand before Caesar, the highest leader in the world, the most, the most powerful ruler in the world. And all of a sudden he is giving more clarity Right. And, and he will give more clarity and more and he even gave certainty in the midst of the chaos. Listen, things may be chaotic, but they are not uncertain. They may feel unclear, but they're not uncertain in the middle of this storm where they haven't seen stars for like two weeks. God says, not only are you going to Rome, but let me help you. Let me go a step farther. Let me reveal a little bit more of my plan to you. I'm going to have you stand before Caesar. In fact, when Paul writes the Philippians from a Roman prison and he's like telling everybody, hey, just greetings. What's up? You know, this person says hi and this person says hi. And then he says also the saints of Caesar's house says, what's up? In other words, Paul got to Rome, preached the gospel to Caesar, and Caesar may not have come to faith, but there were people in his house that came to faith. And years after, when Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians from Rome, he's like, hey, just want to tell you, the converts in Caesar's house says, what's up? And where did, he, where did God reveal that part of the plan? In the storm. And if you'll pay attention in this storm, God will give you a new part of the plan. He will reveal more of the purpose and calling and plan that he has for you. Yeah. Here, here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. 
Storms renew trust. They renew trust. Look at what Paul said. Uh, verse, 20, verse 20, it says this. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was given up. Now, Luke is writing this, but I assume he and Paul had some conversations because it made it into the Bible that this is probably how they felt. And I have found that um, our faith is revealed <laughs> by storms. Our faith is revealed by storms. Um, you can tell how much faith and fear you have by the amount of toilet paper in your garage. <laughs> how many cases of water? Um, no, I think, I think storms reveal our faith, and sometimes storms reveal our lack of faith. Just like the disciples, remember Mark 4, Jesus said, why are you afraid? Have faith. Why, don't you have, why, why are you doubting? Why don't you have faith? Well, he's saying the storms happened, and what it revealed out of them was fear. Um, the, the, the truth is that, that fear is the evidence of doubt. Peace is the evidence of faith. Fear is the evidence of doubt. Peace is the evidence of faith. That when we really trust God, we have peace. Right? When we really trust God, no matter what it may look like out there, we have peace. Why? Because we have faith in God. That somehow He is with us. Somehow He is working this for good. Somehow He will keep us. Somehow He will sustain us. Somehow God will use this for His glory and even for our benefit. We have faith, and when we have faith, we have peace. When we have fear, it's because we're doubting those things. We're uncertain about those things. We're not sure. The truth of the matter is, faith, faith, listen, um, faith isn't something you talk about. Faith is something you walk out. Um, faith is just a theory until there's a storm. Faith can be explained by your talk, but it is expressed and experienced when you walk. This is what Peter said, and he's talking to Jews who are in persecution. First Peter 1, 7, it says, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater than gold, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's saying, look, the trial is actually proving and revealing faith. I don't know that we increase in faith, but I definitely think we mature in it. And maturity is about responsibility and response. Um, mature faith responds differently than immature faith. So it's not so much, I don't, I don't know that we, we gain more faith, is that we uh, learn to apply more the faith that we have and respond more out of faith as opposed to responding out of our own fears or anxieties. And, and, and storms give us an opportunity to, they renew trust in that they call us to a decision of faith. It's almost a crisis of, are you going to trust God or not? That's kind of what trials and storms and everything that we go through, it kind of comes with that question. Am I going to trust God or am I not? Is it going to renew my trust in God or am I going to like lose my mind? You know, and Paul is sitting here. He's like, hey, I think all was lost. I think all hope was given up. That's that's the, the rumor around the around the boat, if you will. But but then he said this. No, I'm going to believe God. God spoke. I'm going to believe him. Listen, this is what I found. 
everyone's going to go through storms. And right now, everyone is going through a storm. And you can go through it or you can grow through it. And it's your decision on, depending on how you respond to it. You can go through it or you can grow through it. And it just depends on how you respond. It's a place where we can renew our trust. And like Paul said, say, no, 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 no. I, I, I believe, I believe God. I believe God and it's going to be as God said. Um, here's the fourth thing. Write this down. Um, I had to work on this one because obviously I'm working on ours. And so number four is uh, storms ramp up opportunities. I had to get two words. I'm sorry, but it's so cool how it was working out. Uh, it's a preacher thing. It's, it's an anointing. Um, but storms ramp up opportunities. That, that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen from this whole, this whole thing is um, just like what we're doing today. We have, we have, we have a greater audience today, uh, honestly, um, than, than we've ever had. And no one can actually come to the building. It, it's just incredible to see how people are engaging with us online. Now, I miss you guys. It's, I mean, I, I do. I miss being with you. I can't wait till we can, I don't know if we'll ever shake hands again, but maybe we can at least bump elbows, right? And so I, I can't wait, but I'm just saying, God, in, in this time, because there's no entertainment, there's no sports, there, you know, news will scare you to death if you watch it long enough, right? And people are tuning in and they're trying to hear what God's saying. And we've got this opportunity. We've also got an opportunity to help people and serve people in ways we've never been able or maybe never had the opportunity. And one of the great things that I loved is watching how our team has come together and creatively, learn, creatively coming up with ideas on how do we take care of people with these challenges when we can't actually meet together and we're learning how to meet the needs of people in this crisis and there are more needs than, than normal, if you will. And what an opportunity what an opportunity. I'm seeing more people pray than ever before. Unite 714, I talked about it, but more people are praying than ever before. What an opportunity. And so I'm seeing all the good that is coming, all the potential. This storm had great potential. Yes, there's bad, but there is good. I know the news will not report the good, but there is good. There's good. People are checking on their neighbors. People are praying. Yes, some people will beat you up for toilet paper, but other people will bring you TP. You understand? What I mean, there is an opportunity. And I saw that the opportunity was afforded to them by this, by this storm. And God used a storm. This is what's crazy is this storm. Think about this. It blows them off track or maybe it blew them on track. It just depends on how you see it because they're blown out to sea. That's true. But eventually they're going to, they're going to shipwreck on an Island called Malta. It wasn't, it wasn't on their agenda. If you will, it wasn't part of their itinerary. And so you can say the storm blew them off track or the storm blew them on track. And can I just say this prophetically? What I feel from the Holy spirit, this storm is blowing the church on track. It is. I think this storm is blowing us on track because what happened is they, they land at Malta and Paul's bit by a snake and are bitten by a snake. And, and then, but here's the thing, the governor of Malta, his dad, Publius's dad is sick with a fever. <laughs> ironic, but anyways, and Paul prays for him and he's healed and then others are healed and it starts a revival on this island they weren't even supposed to be at. 
And I just thought, God, this is what you're doing. You're blowing the church on track. Here's what I felt from, from the Spirit. He's blowing the church on track for revival. That's what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying. He's blowing the church on track for revival. And I thought about it in the midst of the storm, what a great opportunity for the church to be seen. And I started contrasting and comparing Jonah with Paul. And here's why. Because Jonah brought a storm to people. Paul brought people through a storm. Oh, that was good. There better be a fire emoji right there. Because this is, this, hey, this is where we're at. You can be the person that always brings a storm to people. Or you can be the person that brings people through a storm. It's just depending on how you're going to let God work in you, how you're going to trust God, going to renew faith, going to let God reveal himself to you. You, you can be that person. You can be that person that always had, you know, we all know those people. Don't look at them if they're in the room with you. Don't text them right now. But I'm just saying, don't put any names in the comments, but I'm just saying, we all know people that everywhere they show up, they bring a storm. But there are some people you know that you call when there is a storm because they're the type of person that brings you through a storm. And right now, I think the church is supposed, is supposed to be the people that are bringing people through the storm. And I'll just, I'll just tell you what, what I personally believe. And, and I, God just, I feel like God began to speak to me some things. And I don't think COVID-19 is going to be as bad as what they say. I'm not saying it shouldn't be serious. It is very serious. But here's what I think. I think divinely there'll be a shift during Passover with COVID-19. Whether that's a cure or whether that's something supernatural that happens. And I think as quickly as it came on, it will leave. And I think, God, I think the economy will restart and I think it will boom. I honestly think that. Um, and what I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me because I started asking God and I felt like he showed me on the other side of the storm. Malta. The um, destination that wasn't the destination but became a waypoint that rewrote history. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said on the other side of this, because the church is waking up and we're the watchmen on the wall. We're the ones supposed to be praying over our leaders, supposed to be praying over our country, supposed to be praying protection. We're the ones that's supposed to be bringing healing and peace. And I feel like God's waking the church up. And I feel like honestly, on the other side of this, because of this, I think COVID-19 actually leads to a revival an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I think will be marked by healing. That's what I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, that, that the coming move of the Holy Spirit is going to be marked by healing. And I think marked by the Holy Spirit, by the outpouring, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe is coming. And I've, you know, normally I, I have a tendency, probably like some of you, I'm good at worrying. It's a genetic thing that I'm blessed with. My grandma was good at worrying, you know, and, and normally I'm good at, I just haven't been worried this whole time. I haven't been stressed out the whole time. And, and as I really pressed into God, I was just like, God, what are you doing? And that's what I really felt like. He's blowing us on course for revival. And there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and healing. And I said, God, that's what I want. I believe we're going to build the church building. I was out on site the other day. I believe we're going to build it. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about, I was on the phone with pastors who are having to lay off large numbers of their staff. We're trusting God that's not going to happen here. But I'm just saying that I believe 
This is a time to bring people through the storm and realize God has blown us on course for revival and there's going to be healing. And there's going to be pouring out of the Holy Spirit as God has refocused the church. This storm has incredible potential. It has incredible potential. Will you pray with me where you're at at home? Father, thank you so much. God, thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for your goodness. God, I believe that you're guiding, that you're leading. I believe we're going to see good come out of this. God, I pray today the church would be stirred up. God, I pray today there would be a pouring out of your spirit upon your people. God, I pray today there'd be a pouring out of healing. God, flowing through your church, through the body of Christ. God, I pray for those today that may be watching that need healing. God, I pray they would be healed exactly where they're at right now. God, Lyme disease healed in the name of Jesus. God, hip problems healed in the name of Jesus. Spinal issues healed in the name of Jesus. Chronic headaches healed in that vision problems healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just pray for healing exactly where they're at. God, health and life by the Spirit. Will you take a moment where you're at and do what we would do if we were meeting in person, and that is to ask God, what is he speaking to you individually? And God, I pray you would give a word to every person, a word that would bring life and peace, a word that would bring joy. And I pray if you're watching online and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking if, you're, if your grandmother was a Christian or your mother was a Christian. I'm not asking if you go to Easter somewhere. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you talk to him? Does he talk to you? Have you laid down your life to follow him completely? And if you need a relationship with Jesus, that's what you need to do. I want to pray with you. And it's just a prayer proclamation or profession of faith where you're at you could just simply by faith say this Jesus I believe you're the son of God you died and rose again for me I ask you to forgive me to cleanse me to make me a new person help me to follow you the rest of my life and God I pray if people are praying that prayer you would help them to follow you the rest of their life and if you prayed that prayer would you text connect Text CONNECT to 903-339-0559. Sorry, 331-0559. They'll put the number on the screen. But would you text CONNECT and just... So we want to pray with you. We want to, want to, want to believe with you. Um, we want to be your family, even though we can't meet right now. But we want to follow up with you. Thank you so much for being online today. Listen, I love you. I think the best is yet to come. Pathway... We're going we're gonna to take over the world. We're going to take over the world. I believe it. I believe God's in charge. I believe the best is ahead. Thank you for tuning in today. Love you so much. We'll see you next weekend.